Before we begin this week's show, we want to stop everything to tell you about something else you can listen to. NPR One. It's an application for your telephone that helps you find the best from public radio and beyond. NPR One is ready to make waiting in line or waiting for a friend better. Even better than waiting in line. That's NPR One, N-P-R-O-N-E, on your app store. Hey, Lindsay, what can we help you with? So I volunteer for the local, um, one of the local political parties, and one of my duties is to hand out yard signs uh-huh. for people. Um, sometimes I'll come into the office and pick them up, or I'll go out and deliver them. And we've had a number of people who come in to request signs after I've already given them to them, and they say that um, because they keep getting stolen. So I was wondering if you guys can come up with a way to either help prevent these yard signs from being stolen or maybe create an unstealable yard sign. Wow. Uh, just curious, have you done this work uh, in, in previous elections? Um, I have not, no. But I've heard that it's you know, a very common thing that's happened in years past, and it's not you know, one party or the other. It's just a very universal thing. Yeah. I like to think that people are stealing them to put them in their own yard, mm-hmm. but I suspect that I'm being optimistic. <laughs> I think you are, yeah. Let me ask you this. Have you ever walked by uh, a sign for your opponent's party and thought, I would really like to steal that? I will admit to having that thought, but I would certainly never act on it. <laughs> right, right. Would you ever kick that sign? No. Throw something at it? No. Well, this is, this is very interesting, and I think um, we, we'll, we'll try and get on it quickly because these signs only have a little bit uh, time left to do their jobs anyway. Okay, well, thank you very much. Okay, on the line with us now is Mari Schaefer. She has written about this exact thing, people stealing yard signs for the Philadelphia Inquirer. So, Mari, what are some things people are doing to keep their signs from being stolen? Well, I think my all-time favorite is that um, somebody suggested slathering dog poo on strategic parts of the sign and on the back by the stakes so that when um, the the would-be thief grabs the sign to yank out, they get a handful of, of dog poop. Oh, wow. Someone suggested putting hot sauce on the sign so if they ever touch their eyes after the fact, they would be surprised. Um, some people suggested they put sign smile for the camera next to their sign or put uh, like Vaseline or oily greasy material on the posts or around the edges. Um, others suggested wet, wet paint. Um, one of my favorite ones was someone saying put a, a sign or a card next to it saying, uh, steal this and I will donate to a campaign again. Um, <laughs> the, the dog poop solution, putting dog poop on or near the sign of your candidate to keep somebody from, from stealing it, I feel like that's the kind of thing, if I didn't like the candidate, I might also do to the sign, is put <laughs> dog poop on it. You know, I hadn't, hadn't thought about that. It's very possible. So if you were, uh, if you were going to have a sign in your yard... Uh, and you wanted to protect it, given given all that you know about this, what what method would you choose? Well, as a journalist, I wouldn't have a political sign in my yard, but if I was a regular person, I, I might take the approach of just putting it by the front door, a little closer to the house, or maybe inside the window. If I really wanted to protect the sign, that would yeah. be probably the easiest thing to do, and I wouldn't attach anything next to them. I think there was a, a man in Massachusetts a few years ago who attached a, a box next to his sign saying booby trap and the bomb squad was called. So, oh, wow. Yeah, I think I'd just take it along the line. So it's a piece of cardboard. And uh, if it stays, it stays. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Well, Mari, thank you so much for talking to us about this. 
All right. Thanks, guys. Hey, now's the part of our show where we tell you about our sponsors, as we are required to do. And this week, that's Stamps.com. Stamps.com helps businesses avoid time-consuming trips to the post office. With Stamps.com, use your own computer and printer to print official U.S. postage for any letter or package, no matter how large, and the mail carrier picks it up. No more wasting time going to the post office or wasting money on expensive postage meters. Sign up today for a four-week trial and a special offer, including postage and a digital scale. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone, and enter everything. Everything you can. In 30 seconds, it's timed. Support for science stuff on our show comes from Google's Making and Science Initiative. They've created a fun new app to help budding makers and scientists measure and explore the world around them. That app is called Science Journal. You can learn about it and find hands-on activities and more about the Making and Science Initiative at g.co slash science journal app. Or maybe just, just Google it. Last week, we learned that cod traveling north to mate might be having a problem because the fish they went there to mate with didn't understand their accents. We wanted to hear more about this, so on the line with us now is marine biologist Steve Simpson. He is currently leading research on this in the UK. So, Steve, let's just start here. Do fish actually have accents? Well, that's what we're trying to explore now. So the reason that we're trying to explore, it sounds like a pretty crazy question. It does. Is that, first of all, we know that fish, lots of fish make sound. Um, and cod have a particularly elaborate repertoire of sounds that they can make. Um, they do this by vibrating a balloon inside their body called their swim bladder, which they use also to control their, their depth and their buoyancy. Now, we know that cod travel to traditional spawning grounds each year. So this gives the opportunity for the songs that, that they produce around breeding to head off in different directions, to diverge. Um, and the song really is a male making these um, uh, series of thumps and growls to try and impress the female as he swims up to the surface to try and convince her that she wants to release her eggs for him. So it's, a, it's an important love song, which then obviously has the opportunity to develop in lots of different directions. So you're, you're looking at whether these Cornish cod that are moving north, um, maybe they have accents, and so even if they're a good singer, uh, yeah. the females up there won't kind of be able to understand what they're saying, right? Yeah, so, so that's what we've become interested in. If you listen to recordings of cod from different parts of the Atlantic, they sound different. So we're, we're interested. You see this in birds and you see it in some mammals, that the, um, that the song of one population can can go in a different direction to the neighboring population. But it's once it gets dark, uh, a single female and male will swim towards the surface, and the male's then got about 15 seconds to get this song just right, to persuade her to release her eggs. And about one in three times, the female will do. But she's pretty picky as to which male she wants to breed with. Um, and so that's where all this information is being transferred. So we, we should jump in here, I think, uh, and kind of illustrate what this is like in human terms. So this male fish, he, he sees someone across the, the room, and so he, he tries to romance her a little bit. And to make his move, he's going to sing a song. Maybe light some candles. Something romantic, something soft. 
like this. But she is from a, another place, so she doesn't even understand what he's talking about. So he thinks he's being all romantic, telling her what what it's all about. She hears like this. Which, while still very romantic, doesn't make any sense to her. I mean, she's from the north of England. She doesn't speak fish Spanish. And so uh, two fish that maybe are, are made for each other in a lot of ways, it doesn't work out just because they have different accents. And that means no more fish, no future fish, no fish children that we can then eat with our fish and chips. That, that's, kind of a, that's kind of a sad ending. Uh, maybe a better song than at this point would, would be this. How do I say goodbye? So then after 15 seconds of, of doing, making those noises, the, the female cod will just reject him or accept yeah, him. Right. Yeah, she'll swim back down to the bottom and he loses out, or she'll choose, choose to release her eggs. Wow. And that then obviously gives him an opportunity to fertilize those eggs and they float up to the surface and these baby cods will start developing in the egg and then hatch out up on the surface. What happens if he gets rejected? What does that guy do? He's got to go back and work on his song, I guess. He uh, swims back down. You know, I guess I guess each female might have her own preferences. But, uh, yeah, but basically you've got this, you know, very intense mate choice going on, all based around the song of the male. But, yeah, um, certainly certainly, if he, can, if he can get it right, then, you know, he's on to a winner. And, and if not, there are plenty of fish in the sea. You know, at this point, we'd probably uh, ask another question, or can you continue with the interview, keep talking to Steve about this, but I, I feel like we should probably just stop the show. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, I no I'm sorry, longer you deserve to no, speak. Let's just be done. Show's over. We, we for reasons we've already talked about, we're not going to continue with our show today. Um, if you want something else, the, the NPR's newest podcast, The Big Listen, uh, is there for you. It points you to other podcasts that you might like. When you want to find something new, find The Big Listen on the NPR One app and npr.org slash podcasts.